good evening and good morning. It's a pleasure to welcome you all back to the EPL State of Mind, a place where the festive football feast continues. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined by the triumphant returnee, Sean, fresh off his scouse adventures. So strap in for a jam-packed episode filled with a recap of the top games of the week, Sean Scouse Tales, or maybe a rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone, if we uh, <laughs> allow his vocal cords to do, the, do us justice. Uh, but we'll start with a deep dive into the exciting changes happening at Manchester United. But first, before we get into that, welcome back, Sean. I hope uh, I hope you. you're well rested and uh, enjoyed your time. I don't want to get too much into the details of your Liverpool experience because that's going to be the bulk of the show. But I know I'm super stoked to hear all about it and I'm glad you made it back in time. Happy to be here. Uh, definitely not well rested. I will admit that. But yeah, a lot of fun and looking forward to getting into that. But uh yeah, might as well throw it back to you. Started off with talking about a team that I did get to see in person while I was over there in Manchester United. Yeah, what a what a snoozer that one was, but we'll get into that. But Christmas came a little bit early, depending on what side of the fence you sit on as a Manchester United fan. I know Brendan Heasley has demoed that fence, burnt the stakes, and completely written off Manchester United for the remainder of the season. I haven't asked him his opinion based off of the last game, which was yesterday. But Manchester United has finally put into action the next step of the Sir Radcliffe takeover saga. And it's finally moved into the next step, which is... Radcliffe has finally acquired 25% of Manchester United and taken control of football operations through his Inos group. Is that how you pronounce it? It's all abbreviation. Is it Inos? Inos. Inos. Don't even know. I know they're in OG Nice as well, the owners of that, who are currently in second place in League One. I think we briefly mentioned it a previous podcast, but if both of those teams were to finish in the top four of their divisions, there would have to be some conversations with UEFA regarding Champions League positions. But right now, it doesn't look like Manchester United is in that place, so OG Nice would definitely be favored there. But getting back to Manchester United, there's really no telling if there will ever be a full-blown signing or a sale to uh, Sir Ratcliffe because the Glazers are still in you know, the majority holder. And technically, this has not been approved by the Premier League yet, but it's obviously, I believe, going to push through. So Siracliff doesn't have full control quite yet, but because we're heading into the transfer window, him and Enos do have say on what will and what will occur during the transfer window. They've gone that far. But take us away with a little bit of the the facts and the and the money on this one there, Sean. Yeah, so absolutely. Like you said, obviously... Um, 25% stake of Manchester United, um, media inje- injection of 300 million. And if you go back to listen to the spotlight we had with Mike and Brendan a few months back, um, Mike specifically talked about how Old Trafford's basically falling falling down around it. Um, the training ground's not up to standard. So, you know, definitely will will help the infrastructure of the club. And then we'll see, you know, regarding signings. I mean, they are up against it from an FFP standpoint. So maybe it'll, you know, make them focus a little bit more on the youth academy and, and, and like we talked about the training ground, the stadium itself. Um, it's hard to really see where this goes. You know, obviously he's done a good job with OGC Nice uh, or the group has overall. Um, but you know, this is the premier league. It's, it's, you know, more money, more competition, better, better levels of recruitment. And, you know, you're competing with more clubs, I would say overall where PSG is like the clear top dog there. Um, but it's almost a situation where it almost can't get worse than the Glazers. Yeah. So I, I think from a Manchester United standpoint, a, any change is good. But yeah. it will be interesting to monitor, you know, what changes in terms of 
transfer business, if they can keep fees down, because that's something they're notorious for is uh, Anthony, for example, we talked about him. He would think he was valued initially at 50 million. And then somehow men United bid against themselves and ended up at 80 because they waited <laughs> too long. Um, so, you know, we'll see if the business gets better. I was about to say, hopefully, but, um, as a Liverpool fan, selfishly, I don't want them to ever get better. No, I think there's a small pond of fish that do hope for Manchester United survival and and benefits. I do know that um, Sir Radcliffe is bringing in quite the impressive back of house staff to help with the financial and football side of things. I forget this sir's name, but I'm pretty sure he's like an 18 time cyclist medalist and has brought European cycling to where it is today. Um, so I, I heard rumors that he's probably going to be one of the head honchos there. So a lot of important financing and kind of marketing going in that way. So I think it, uh, you'll see a, a huge change at Old Trafford relatively soon. Whether or not that will also include a, a change in, in the gaffer with Eric Ten Hag, we'll, we'll soon find out. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment when we go over Liverpool's game versus Manchester United and Manchester United's game versus Aston Villa as two highlights. Mm -hmm. But as a reminder, because we kind of spoke about it already, the transfer window does open up on January 1st, which is just next week after the new year. And it's always one of the most intimidating and thrilling parts of our time here on the podcast. And especially if you're Fabrizio Romano, right? Because he is the one that his given to you all the good news um, regarding that. So it's the busy season for a lot of people, but I will kind of throw a prediction out there that I don't think this will be as an exciting transfer window, uh, winter transfer window, as it was last year. Last year, we had some record-breaking sales and movement, but for the most part, I really only see Chelsea making multiple moves, and I think that's going to be more outgoing than incoming. And then one player to keep an eye on is, is Ivan Tony. I know you threw this one up there, uh, Sean. It's a great point. We've been talking about him before. His his band, his betting band and ends on January 1st. So he'll be able to take the pitch again. I know he's been working privately, but we still don't really know what he, what form and what shape he's going to be back in uh, come the first, you know, it is, he's being linked with two big London clubs, one being Arsenal and one being Chelsea. I, I was going to ask you to ask me this question, but I'm more curious on your take. If you would really, let's say you're an outsider or Liverpool was in Arsenal's position. I know Chelsea would probably take a fucking brick wall at this point up top. But like, if you're Arsenal, are you looking to get Ivan Tony in here? He's not been tested the whole season. He is obviously tried and true with the English Premier League. He was the most prolific goal scorer last season other than uh, Holland. And I think Kane surpassed him as well. But other than that, I think he was either he was either two or three up there with plus 20 goals. Something along those lines. And it was it yep. really, really impressive, especially for a Brentford team that who's not really known for building up. And he plays a very central midfield uh, forward position in between the two center backs, not really getting into deep, kind of hanging up top a little bit more. What what do you see here? I, I, I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, if they can pull it off, I think they, they should go for it. Um, Jesus just has been kind of inconsistent with his finishing. He's also had some injury problems. And I think, you know, if you look around at the team, Overall, they haven't scored enough from open play. I think that would be the one knock. If you had any on Arsenal this year, that would be it. Um, and he, he obviously can do that. He's also a great penalty taker. I know Saka's obviously done it well so far this year. Historically, he's had you know some struggles and some big moments in that position. So uh, for me, I think if, if they are able to do it, they absolutely should go after it. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's played – Less than two full seasons in the Premier League, he's got 32 goals. So yeah. tells you what type of finisher he was. He also led the championship in goal scoring the year that Brentford got promoted. 
Um, so yeah, top notch player. The only question is, do Arsenal have the funds to make the move in January? Because um, obviously David Raya was on a loan to buy, meaning that they didn't have, you know, whatever cash it was up front to pay for him. So are they in a position where they can now? Um, that remains to be seen. And I think um, there's a couple of other teams. You, you mentioned Newcastle here, um, Aston Villa as well. Teams who probably either want to jumpstart their season or are in a position where they need to, you know, add depth because of injury. Um, but I think both of those clubs have spent heavily in the summer and may be outside of their means, you know, if, if they uh, they spend too greatly in in this January window. So it'll be interesting. I think, like you mentioned, it'll be quieter, especially because it's not immediately after a World Cup. You know, it's quite often where, where you see that a guy has a big cup. World Cup is that, you know, in a smaller league and then gets a move to a big club, you know, immediately after a positive tournament. Um, I, I think we'll see less activity and probably less big moves, but don't be surprised if if one of those teams in the top half, one of the big six, makes a move. Tottenham would be an interesting one to keep an eye on because although they did spend quite a bit, um, you know they have been beset with injuries and they have a hundred million from the from the Harry Kane transfer. So definitely yeah. a club to to monitor in the in this window. Romero just was tagged for five weeks as their center back, which is why we saw Eric Dyer have a cameo for the first for the third time in this season. Like I mentioned before, he's definitely on an Pasacoglu's plans, and I think you're right. I think Tottenham would would be it would behoove them to go after a center back as a replacement in the time being. But one team that I think would really behoove them to do some winter searching is Brighton. You know, they are definitely probably the only team that doesn't have any issues with FFP, provided that they didn't heavily invest in academy or stadiums that really drags their profitability down but obviously over the past couple of transfer windows they've been in the green and we talked about their sales being record breaking so you know with Matoma now injured as well he's been kind of battling throughout the season uh you still have um and Sesos is injured still I don't know how much longer he is but that was a key presence a young key presence in the center of the pitch that they've been missing I mean it's it's pretty 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 thin for them and uh uh adrin ga adrin adingra adingra thank you adingra uh has been out for another four to six weeks too and he came in this year back from loan and and really was performing quite well so if you're brighton i'm thinking you're dipping into the wall here a little bit especially where you're sitting currently on the table it's not where you thought you would be as a brighton from last season but also you know you did do some sales over the over the summer so I don't know what you can expect, but you're in ninth place right now. So you got to do something quick to to get back into those European spots. Other than Conference League, I think would probably get us in the seventh spot this year with Europa being possibly six. Um, because right now, English Premier League isn't registered for that fifth spot in the Champions League. So we got we to gotta look into that as well. But of course, we'll find out more about the transfer window as it gets closer to that January 1st date next week. But... It's the moment we have all been waiting for, and that is Scouser Larkin. Welcome back. Tell us about your Scousy adventure. You don't have the accent, which I was a little disappointed to. You're a little raspy, I can tell from all the screaming at the last game of the season of the last game of the week. But again, recap, Sean, one week, three games. It's impeccable. I think everyone forgets how much happens in the month of December during this winter festive season. But here, watching multiple games a week and weekend. And then for you being there and actually catching three home games in a row in Liverpool, I think really puts things into perspective. So right off the bat, bro, tell us how Liverpool was. Did you sing the Beatles or just never walk alone the whole entire time? 
No, you know, definitely uh, checked out some Beatles stuff. Liverpool's a really underrated city. I think uh, it get, it's gotten a bad rap from what I've seen online and uh, some from what people say about it. Um, very underrated restaurants. Like I was very impressed by some of the spots we went. Um, but overall, the, the the main takeaway is the people there. Um, it reminds me of like when I when I visit family in Ireland. People like Scousers are so hospitable, just like good people, very down to earth, easy to talk to. Got to give a shout out to my boy Greg Owen. Uh, he took my myself, my friend Krishna, who I was traveling with, uh, to this place Taggies before the Arsenal game. Just this huge like outdoor garden bar. Everybody's singing, drinking pints. It's a great time. Greg's an awesome dude, so I just want to give him a special shout out. Um, but no, it, it really was a, a, a great trip and I'm glad that I did it. Um, obviously the disappointment of two draws, you know, both with United and Arsenal, but at the same time, you came um, back undefeated, man. I mean, that's a pretty good record yeah. for me. Sean, listen, 23 undefeated in the business he, here. Man, listen, listen here, man. We don't, we don't lose at Anfield. That doesn't <laughs> happen. So that would be, I would be disappointed if I was, I'd be gutted if I was there and that happened. Um, but if, if, no, you had seriously. To, if you had to take one less serious note, if you had to take an over under on how many pints you drank that entire week, could you give me a rough number? Uh, at least, at least 50 pints, 50 at least pints. 50 pints. All yeah. Right. I, th- I think that's a, that's a conservative number somewhere in and around there. 25, 40 to 50. Something I mean, like that's, that. that's just a busy weekend at Mulligan's for us. Come on, homie. Uh, well, listen, man, I, I was a little bit under the weather. I had to, I had to rein it in a bit. True, so, true. Um, but yeah, obviously the Manchester United game was disappointing, and, and I just want to touch on that quickly. I know you guys did a pretty good job talking about it last week um, and, and mentioned, obviously, that kind of like the anxiety and the restlessness of the crowd after the first half hour or so. Um, but, you know, on the complete flip side of that, uh, is the is the Arsenal game, and I was just happy to experience to be there to an experience an atmosphere like that. Um, I don't know if it translated to the TV, but being there was just like absolute cacophony. Um, so so much fun to be in the crowd, it's sitting in the cop end for that one. We sat in the um, the Anfield Road end, which is the other end behind the goal uh, for the for the West Ham match and for the United match, and then sitting in the cop for the Arsenal match. It was it was awesome, just you know people supporting the entire game. Um, really special. Uh, and just, you, you did ask me to put a, a note on the United game. So I guess my only takeaway from that game was that we missed Diogo Jata. Um, because I feel like there was, you know, half chances there that, you know, Nunez or Gakpo or Diaz aren't going to take, but that yeah. he just always seems to be so clinical in front of goal that he would have found a way to score in that game. Um, but overall, I think, uh, just Liverpool had, didn't really get into second gear from, you know, a free flowing, attacking football standpoint everything just seems to be missing that that last final touch or you know beating the man off the dribble things like that and then you know the West Ham game in the cup early in later on in the week was the complete opposite where everything kind of seems to go off you know Sabazlai scored a beautiful goal from outside the box that's Curtis all he Jones does calls, when he scores man and they're always he bangers. only he only hits bangers he only hits bangers um and then you had uh Curtis Jones really showed out in that game as well um Obviously, Jarrell Quanta, who I, I wanted to mention just because he played really well against Burnley in the in the Prem yesterday. Very, very surprise package for this Liverpool team. Twenty years old. He was last year he was in League One on loan, only played fifteen times. And now he's playing for Liverpool in the Premier League. He's and he fit like a glove. He stepped right in. Even before the Matt Tip injury, he had to play because of Van Dyke's suspension and you know, doesn't look out of place at all. Um 
he he stood out to me in the West Ham game, even though he was at fault for the the goal that Jared Bowen scored. Um, but but that was obviously a, a really fun game to be at, to, you know, to see a five one victory. I mean, you saw twenty nine shots that game. I mean, that is yeah, an impressive in. number. By no means West Ham was putting up a good defensive prowess, but I mean, you guys had seventy. You had eight. What sixty seven percent possession and twenty nine shots. I mean, it was. The most fun you can do at a soccer game is watch goals and shots. So that that's got to be one of the highlights. But obviously, the next game has got to be one of the greatest experiences you've probably had so far. Heartbreaking and also heart wrenching. I was literally sitting in uh, my old leather recliner at my mom's place for Christmas, essentially. And I, if my chest was physically out of my body, I'm sure that yours completely exited the the hemisphere of the of the entire <laughs> world. This was insane, man. Yeah, a uh, wild game and and the other thing I have to say about it is just like top notch in terms of quality. I think there's been um some questions from from fans of not or non-Liverpool fans whether or not they're actually in the race if they have the quality, if they're close to the level they were at a few years ago and I still think there's a ways to go to get to that that prime, you know, 18, 19, 19, 20 level. But in terms of whether or not they can compete for the title, I absolutely believe they can. And this game showed it um, very back and forth game. It started off with Arsenal just coming out of the gates, blazing hot. Um, the first 10 minutes, I mean, they were all over Liverpool. They did score off a of Gabrielle header, which, you know, which felt deserved. It felt like it was inevitable the way the game started pretty much from the off. Liverpool were under pressure. Um Great ball in from from Odegaard on a free kick, and then uh, then Gabrielle grows up and put a header in, um, and then the I would say the next pivotal moment of the game or big moment of the game was something that you and I I thought you and I were disagreeing about, but we actually were agreeing after I read it back and I didn't have twelve pints in my system, <laughs> which was the Martin Odegaard handball. Yeah, because I was like, oh, stop being so biased, and you were like, I would have my blood boiling if if that was a penalty, but you were saying, yeah. If from my perspective, yes, correct. Yeah, was, which I didn't a, understand yeah. because I had there's a little uh, miscommunication. Sorry, shout out to Carlsberg for that one. You have to credit <laughs> to Carlsberg for the miscommunication. I, when, I when I when I saw that, and I was like, you know what? And then we brought up the whole entire, you know, Sako with his his lesbian haircut, and I called <laughs> Darwin Nunez Goldilocks from the Three Bears with his braids the other night that made him look like a Viking goddess. I don't think that we'll be able to watch the the game at emirates stadium together i think we might go, <laughs> go go at each other completely but i mean it was it was a lot of fun and you're what i gotta say and we'll get back to game you're one of the hardest people to actually go at because you're so quick with it and your knowledge is ridiculous and then your irish heritage the the ridiculous things that you say sometimes <laughs> literally i work in construction i don't even think half those guys could come up with what you're saying it's extremely impressive and like if i don't respond it's just i just i completely concede and it, it's just <laughs> it's ridiculous but yeah i mean it, it was fantastic one thing i'll let you go i will say just a quick shout out to gabriel he with that header goal which was really tight on on tv the, the offsides you probably couldn't really tell because of it, of it being line live and they don't draw the lines for you it was like a shoelace. It was very, very close. But now Gabriel does become, since his debut in 2020, he becomes the first defender to enter double digits and has the most goals as a defender um, from 2020, which, you know, as a defender, it's a pretty impressive stat when you have his height and Arsenal has the ability to play these set pieces and corner kicks relatively well. And he, he gets to the end, end of them. He definitely does a pretty good job there. But keep going. I know the next pivotal mo moment that's coming up. 
Yeah, I just um, something to, to touch on. I'm not sure if Emirates is this way, but there's no replay boards at Anfield. So whatever I saw, I saw it live, and then I, I waited for match of the day when we got back. Um, so I, I, I couldn't tell if it looked onside to me, but it, it's hard to tell really in real time. And then the Odegaard one, just going back to that, I don't know how that doesn't get reviewed by VAR. I think that's literally what VAR is supposed yeah. to exist for, for clear and obvious errors. It was clearly a handball. Um, but that was on the other end of the pitch for me. So I actually, again, did not know um, whether or not it was in the moment. I mean, there was a roar from that end, but I, I mean, it could have been a foul somewhere else. Or I didn't realize it until after the, you know, at halftime, actually, after you said that, I looked at my phone. I was like, oh, my goodness, how is that not yeah. a handball? So they didn't um, they didn't stop play and go to the monitor, no, but they nothing. did they did say on while I was watching at home and you know the combinators now have the ability to listen into the assistant referees uh, as it is live. VAR did check it live and uh, and and chose not to tell who was it was Michael or Paul Tierney, Michael Oliver. No, it was Michael Oliver. I forget uh, who the referee was. Kavanaugh, Chris Kavanaugh. Yes. He, yeah. Thank God it wasn't Tierney. If it oh was Tierney, God. we would have lost three nothing, got seven sending offs. Or Simon Hooper. One of the oh, two. That, but that could have been Simon Hooper tits. out there. The two bald tits, the two of them. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started. And I just quickly, because you mentioned it, Arsenal leads the league in set-piece goals. They have 11. Everton actually got to 11 today with one, but nobody else is above seven. So it just shows how dangerous they are in set-pieces. They have a lot of height. Um, guys who are good in the air, obviously both center backs, Declan Rice, um, you know, even uh, even Jesus can, you know, chip in from mm-hmm. that perspective. Um, which, by the way, Ivan Tony's quite good in the air too, something that, you know, make you know go from strength to strength there yeah be a good fit you know from that perspective as well i think he's pretty tall he's six he's five eleven oh he's six one okay okay he's taller than i thought um but yeah and then after following that i think there's probably four or five minutes after the alleged handball uh ball over the top from trent and something my cousin brian has been talking about for weeks leading up to this game big arsenal fan and he said I'm worried about Salah on Z- or Zinchenko mm-hmm. on Salah. I think, uh, you know, if, if he gets isolated one-on-one, it could be an issue. And and that's exactly what the ball was from Trent over the top. Salah gets into space, um, you know, dances past Zinchenko and then just absolutely blasts it past Raya. I saw p- some people say, oh, you can't get beat at your near post. I, mean, I think it was going 100 when, miles when per hour. When someone shoots a bazooka at you, I think you can get <laughs> beat at your near post. It happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and to highlight it, I don't think people understand it. They might see the end result of it, but that ball from Trent Alexander-Arnold was from 60 yards out. It was from his own half. And put that thing on a pinnacle. We've been talking about it the entire season, how skillful and talented Trent Alexander-Arnold is with that ball distribution and and vision. I know we go back and forth whether or not he should be moved further up the pitch to more of a central midfielder kind of position. I personally think he's got to stay back because he'll get the opportunity for those balls a little more, which is a completely different side to, you know, play development, being able to skip four lines of defense, essentially. But what a fucking ball. As soon as I saw that and Zinni was was one-on-one with Mo Salah, I thought it was a really tough angle for Mo Salah to collect it. He was really close to that baseline and cut pretty far onto the, his left side. I didn't think it would be that that intense of a rip and, and angle. I mean, if you look at the replay, he, he, skit, he, he probably, there was one more coat of paint on that post. He probably would have taken it off. I mean, it was really tight and, and really, really close. But t- how crazy did did the state Anfield go? When oh, that went it in? was popping, absolutely popping. After that one, I think that we sang the most solid song approximately 12 times in a row after that. Um, 
yeah, that that was great. Um, and even by the way, after the Gabriel goal, immediately people were singing that, like, just a credit to the atmosphere and the difference from the United game. Um, just a note on that goal: two pieces of history. Uh, Salah moves into tenth place all time. We talked about him tying Mike Lowen recently. Uh, that was goal one fifty one for him. Him, so he's a hundred and nine, I think, away from. Alan Shearer, which obviously I don't think he's going to get to. <laughs> and then Trent moved into 27th all time, but the most ever by a defender on 57. And then um, with just five more assists, he'll be in the top 20 and he's only 25 years old. So I, I would be shocked if he's not at a hundred assists one day. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, he is, he is top notch and, 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 and take us through the, that second half or the remainder of the game. Cause I, I just want to say real quick, this was probably one of the most evenly matched games of the season and just high quality all around, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think definitely coming out of the, the, the halftime break, Liverpool were the better team first 10, 15 minutes. There was a lot of chances that they created. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. You know, I was listening to the podcast and I respect really what you and Kyle have to say. And I, I read uh, or heard Liverpool's midfield is going to get dominated nine out of 10 times by Arsenal. Didn't see that in the second half. I'm not sure what happened. Um, you know, and then the other other thing I just wanted to mention, you know, Kyle's like, where does Van Dyke get the arrogance to talk shit about Man United? Uh, probably from from the guy who has a statue outside of uh, the Etihad, <laughs> Vincent Kompany, when he called him the greatest center back in the history of the Premier League. Uh, that might have something to do with it. Might be the Champions League that he's won, the Premier League that he's won, maybe finishing top two in the Ballon d'Or, probably should have won in 18-19. Maybe it's because he's got the most aerial duels won in the Premier League this year. And the highest percentage of aerial duels won at 80.4%. He's the only center, be, center back with over 200 minutes played not to be dribbled past this season. Just for the note, Darwin Nunez dribbled past both of your center backs in a 20-minute cameo. Just something I thought was interesting to note as well. Um, but obviously, the defining moment of the match in general was uh, was Trent on that 4-on-1 break led by Mo Salah in the 71st minute that he just put off the bar. I've heard a million things, you know, oh, credit to Rice, credit to Saliba for getting back, taking away the Nunez. End of the day, no. the chance has to be taken. That's yeah. that's the that's the reality of it. It did pop up right before he hit it, which I obviously couldn't see in real time. But oh, that was like a punch to the gut because it felt like that was that was our gonna yeah. be our last chance. And it really was. I think it was pretty quiet after that. Uh Joe Gomez almost scored his first goal. He's been at Liverpool for nine years. Almost scored his first goal for the club. That was inches away. Um, but really, after that, Trent uh, Trent won. It was just a battle of midfield. Um, as you mentioned, just a really even game. 51-49 in possession. I think shots were pretty close. I think Liverpool had a couple more shots on target, but that was pretty even as well. Um, just a really high-quality game and, and just showed the levels that both teams are at. I think, like I said, um, Liverpool's kind of shown that they, they do belong in the discussion for the title. It's not just Arsenal and City. And for Arsenal, I'm sure they're they're happy to go to Anfield and come away with a point, just like they probably, you know, they were disappointed last year in that game because they were top of the table at that time. They were really buzzing, and I think it was kind of the, the downfall or start of the downfall, you know, from when they fell off. But different feeling around this game. I think they were they were probably happier to get come away with the game with a point than Liverpool was yeah. um, in some respects. I mean, you also got to realize what position Liverpool was in last year towards the end of the season, they were getting back into the groove of things, but for the entirety of the season, they were kind of at the high middle of the table, climbing their way back up into European play. So last year it felt like we really had an opportunity to do something that we haven't done in almost a decade. And this season, 
if you told me that, like I said before, on last episode, probably tied 1-1, if you told me that I would take the point at Anfield in the current form that Liverpool is in, I would 75% of the time say, yeah, absolutely. I think 25% of me was kind of like, you know, Liverpool, like you said, still hasn't hit their ceiling for the season yet, which gives you a little bit hope when you go there. Maybe you'll be the team that they slip up on. They slipped up on Manchester United. They almost slipped up on Fulham. Uh, they almost slipped up. Well, they kind of did slip up with, with Luton Town. So, you know, why not Arsenal? That was a way, though, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, that was a way, to, to be fair. Why not Arsenal at this point? But absolutely. I mean, I don't think there was a more intense game that I've watched in the past two seasons that were was actually two really good teams going back and forth. And they were going at each other, too. It wasn't like the Manchester City-Arsenal game where both teams were very happy to not make a mistake and see if something was going to happen towards the end of the game. This was, I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to put at least two goals in the back of the net and beat you at the same time. And, you know, I think it goes to show that that this is going to be a multiple team race. And like I said before, anyone can can have that level of play, I think, in the top six right now, other than maybe Manchester United consistently. Um, so I think it, you know, definitely would have loved to be there. I mean, that's insane. But I do like the fact that the reverse end is now home at Emirates Stadium later on in the season. Not too not not later on in the season, what in like five weeks? Probably I think it's even less than that. it's even less than that. We play each other in the FA Cup in uh, in like ten two. days, and then yeah. there's I think it's ten days after that, so it's about th- three weeks. Yep. Um, and there'd be no solid for that game. Something to note with yeah. uh, with Afcon coming up. Yeah, that's. I mean, you said it during your highlight reel of the games. The one thing that I think we had to watch out for was Mo Salah. So I think that's going to be a major blow. But we'll talk about that when Afcon picks up. But I mean. Whew. I, I think I'm still coming down from that game, man. It's it's insane. And and the crazy part, like I said before, you guys had a game yesterday. That's how quickly everything is happening. And Arsenal has a game tomorrow, which I know we both don't understand why Arsenal plays tomorrow and Sunday when they could have easily played you know, today, today or yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. But I think I think it's a conversation overall for on across the year. People are like, oh well, there's so, you know, we're talking about you know, injury crises at, at Newcastle, at Brighton, at Tottenham. You know, Liverpool's lost several first, like key first team players. Like, there's certainly other teams as well that are, you know, have lost key players. You know, Wolves obviously have been without Neto. It's because of the fixture congestion. It has to be. You you had the World Cup. There was no break there. Rolled in. Some people played. I think there was um, there was probably some. There was oh yeah, there was the Nations League in in the U.S. and also in Europe. So it's just like there's no break for these guys, and then you're just stuffing games in. And the way the Champions League and Europa League are going to next year is going to be even worse. Yeah, um, you're gonna you're gonna need to qu- carry a squad of thirty to to be able to compete. Yeah, it's nuts. And and it, when you think about it, they only really have maybe if that the month of June off because July you start preseason and you do your international friendlies. Hundred percent. So it, it's not it's it's literally the quickest turnaround for sports history, which I know a few girlfriends wouldn't love to see that quick of a turnaround but i'm stoked about it <laughs> but i mean it it's crazy it makes a makes a great summer for the states because they always come over here but it is it's, it's the players a massive concern you know but i think uh i think you killed it with that highlight bro i know we'll talk more offline about it but we have like i said the festivities continuing um so we'll highlight a couple more games quick rounds off in the next segment and then we'll get into what we should be looking forward to tomorrow and this weekend so we'll be right back
Well, welcome back, guys. Uh, we're going to get into the next segment, which is always a little bit more of a futuristic kind of look into things. But since segment one was kind of more of a Liverpool stance and and the experience of Scouser Larkin, we're going to highlight a couple more games here, mainly uh, pretty much a team since we did have two games this week per team. We're going to highlight Aston Villa, who we were hyping up not too long ago before these two games happened, who are on a hot streak, specifically their 15-game home winning streak, which came to an end during the Sheffield United-Aston Villa tie 1-1. So, Sean, I know you watched this. I think you were at a pub abroad still. So, I think you watched this one and and give us your two cents on that and what the atmosphere at that game was. Yeah, no, it was fun fun to watch. I did, watch, like you said, watch it in a pub in Liverpool on, uh, I guess that was Friday night. Um, in, Villa just didn't seem to f- find a way to break through to create any chances. Didn't look like they were ever going to score, to be honest. And then... Funny enough, the guy that ends their streak, uh, their home winning streak, is a former Aston Villa boy in Cameron Archer. Um, he was on loan last year in the championship and ripped it up. We talked about him in the preseason preview as a guy to look out for for uh, for Sheffield this year. But just interesting that he was the guy that uh, that puts an end to the streak with an assist from my boy Gustavo Hammer, who I've highlighted numerous times. Also a guy who was in the championship last year, you know, ripped it up for, for them uh with with Coventry excuse me um but this this was a a game that like I said just looked like they were not going to get through they had 78 percent possession but they just did not seem to create you know that that one killer chance and especially when they fell behind late in the 87th minute I believe it was from from Archer you were like oh this is over you know not only are they going to lose the streak of winning they're just going to lose period um but but as you said Nicolo Zagnolo came off the bench and rescued a point for Aston Villa. Um, it, it's it's a big point, honestly, at the end of the day, because it you know keeps them up in the top four as things stand. Um, especially with you know Tottenham seems to be getting it going. I know obviously they've they've had another couple of injuries, which which really sucks. But first goal for Zainolo. He's not been great on loan um, this year. He's had a little bit of a dis- disappointing loan spell, but maybe this will be the goal that gets him off the ground and gets him going. Um, and going from that game into a you know further disappointing game, Man United yesterday. Uh, they go up two nil and and then end up losing the game three to two. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Villa was expecting such difficult games back to back, especially coming from Sheffield United, who was in dead last in twentieth place, and then Newcastle. I'm sorry, what, new, um, United. Man U. Who, yeah, Man U. Thank you. I don't even care anymore who, what to call them. But uh, definitely in a in a dark spot. And to be honest, I think the trend from what happened at the Sheffield United game, and even going back to the Arsenal game after their first te- in within ten minute goal, you, you kind of nail on the head. They just haven't been able to to really develop anything out of their own chances, other than Zanillo goal, which came from a beautiful curled cross from Douglas Louise, who has been a very large subject of conversation and just renewed his contract with Villa who's not for sale. This game against Manchester United was kind of Manchester United shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, right off the bat, two goals in the first 30 minutes for Aston Villa, and they they didn't come out hot. They kind of came out warm. And I say only warm because even though these were well-placed and well-driven balls from set pieces into the back of the net, they were really defensive malfunctions for Manchester United. 
you know, they couldn't get out of their own way with the first goal from John McGinn's free kick cross into the box that bounced on the six. Uh, Ollie Watkins looked like he might have gotten a knee to it, but no one touched it. It just bounced in front of Onana and went to the back of the net without a touch. That's just poor marking and that's just poor, you know, vigor to get your head at the end of the end of the ball. Uh, there was some complaints that, um, who do you call it? Was up by Onana. It was uh, not Diaby. It was um, Bailey. Bailey. Yeah. Leon Bailey was in an offside position, but he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't distracting the keeper, wasn't impeding play. So maybe that caused the ball to bounce because Onana wasn't looking. But then, you, you know, only five minutes later, there was another goal from a set piece from who else again? John McGinn, who is vital to Villa. This didn't come directly from a McGinn cross or a corner kick, but he took the corner that went way to the back post to a wide open Longley, who put it back into the mixer on the six again to an even more open Dendonker, who did a really nice kind of side of the foot redirection into the back of the net, but there was no one near him for about three yards in the six, which is a gigantic problem. The bigger problem, obviously no one was tracking the runner in the back post to put that header back across, but these are two good finishes by Aston Villa, but really Manchester United shooting themselves in the foot again. You know, Man U was looking like they were about to lose their third straight home game for the first time since the 1960s, but was bailed out by their two young studs, Garnacho, who is really a bright talent and, and a bright future ahead of him, especially with the bicycle kick. But he he plays really well outside of his out of his flair. And then, of course, a shout out to Erasmus Hoyland, who opened up his goal account for Manchester United with his first Premier League goal of the season. But, you know. Garnacho could have had a hat trick on this game if his first goal didn't if he held his run just one second later it was a great run and and this was kind of the the foreshadowing for what was going to come into the second half Villa plays a very high line and we talk about it all the time their line is almost as high if not higher than Spurs and it's very dangerous and I think it's becoming a problem for Villa because of how many games they're experiencing and maybe some lack of experience altogether. It's a very demanding thing to do. Unai Emery does a really good job with having a very, very stringent defensive line back there, but it, it can get old. And when you have the pace of Garnacho, Hoyland, and Rashford, you can definitely bet that it's going to break one or two times. And it took them seven tries to do it, Manchester United, because they were called for seven offsides before their goal but they finally nailed it timing-wise, and that's when the floodgates opened up for Man U and they just didn't look back. Aston Villa didn't look like they were ever going to get the ball in the other team's half again with good possession in an attacking position, kind of like you were saying before, Sean, with the Sheffield United. They just couldn't figure it out. Maybe they had one or two one or two attempts, but they were maybe half chances at best. Yeah. I'm interested to see what, you, what your take on Villa's kind of you know stance on their high line and, the, and this little dip in form, I, you know? Yeah, I think I think I'm glad you brought up <coughs> excuse me. Glad you brought up the point regarding their line. I think that's definitely something that was exposed earlier in the season when they went to Anfield and lost three nothing, and then previous to that, the first game of the season against Newcastle. Um, you're you, especially against the top teams, you're gonna get punished like that. And I don't think they have the paciest backs in the world, particularly with the lineup with Longley and Dead Docker. Um, I just don't think that's no, not, not that it's not conducive to, to winning, because it, it is. Obviously, a, a lot of the top teams play it. Um, I just think when you're playing teams with, with pacey attacking players like a Garnacho, it's going to cause you problems. Um, and then Hoyland, got to give him credit. That was a really nice finish off, uh, you know, popped up off a corner. He hits it on a volley, puts it side netting. I mean, that's that's a striker's goal. I think it's been coming for him. We we have not been that harsh on him, I, I feel. Um, I think we've, we've been, you know, giving him credit 
like Nunez last year. It's going to take him a little bit of time to, to, to get his footing, but he just seems to be a guy who's going to, you know, constantly run the channels, get in the boxing and, and um, you know, cause a little bit of chaos. And, and I would expect him to probably finish in the, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine total uh, for goal range. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a good second half and, you know, pots five or six. Yeah. I mean, he looked probably like the most promising at the time when he came in later into the into the season, because when he first got his transfer, he came with I think it was a back injury. But when he was in there, he did look like he was going to be, you know, a great benefit to Manchester United. But I think everyone has been saying in their moms, there just has been no service to him. It's kind of like when Holland doesn't score. It's because, you know, where's Kevin De Bruyne to feed him the ball? Or if Holland has been quiet it's because he hasn't gotten the distribution, just pass the ball up top. I mean, this was a perfect game to let him open up his legs. And you saw it in the second half when he drove the foul that ultimately led, led, led to his goal further down the down the play. He drew uh, he drew the attention of the back line, got fouled for it, turned around, and they, they break up the field. I mean, if, if Villa does this, I, I don't think – have you guys – you guys have played them already this season or no? Yeah, we, like I said, we beat him 3 nothing at Anfield. So we have to go yeah. there, I believe – Second to last week of the season, or third to last week of the season, is at Villa. Yeah, for Liverpool. But I think I think if you if you play this again on like a again with Arsenal home at Emirates or Liverpool even away, if you do it, Manchester City, you're going to get punished. Even Spurs with their pace with Richarlison now with Kulusevski with with Son, I think you get punished. I think you have to pick your your poison there. But we'll see if if Villa will be able to kind of bounce back. They're still in the top four, obviously. They currently are sitting in third place uh, only because Manchester United has a game in hand, essentially. So we'll we'll see how they go through the remainder of it. But, yeah, I mean, if you're a Manchester United fan, if you lost that go- game by two or more than two, I think that was the nail in the coffin. But I think for some reason this could be a clinical turning point, especially with Ratcliffe coming in and then Manchester United, who we didn't mention it because he's been quiet all season because of injury. But having Bruno Fernandez and Eriksen, in the middle of the pitch really did benefit man Chester United again, two experienced players that are able to play the ball between each other and have the vision to play those nice over the top balls or those through balls really benefit Manchester United. But I think that's enough talk on man U and, and Villa Villa. Keep it going. Manchester United. Uh, you can stop now. And I don't think much, many people would care, but what we do want to talk about is quick rapid kicks, the expression, the expressing of acknowledgements for close games, great plays, or hot streak alerts. So right off the bat, hey, you're back. You called it before you left. He had an incredible stint while you were gone. Tell me about him. Yeah, Dominic Solanke, seven goals in in his last seven games. They've, um, as you mentioned, Bournemouth have now won six of their last seven, and having th- uh, three goals in five of those games. Um, but yeah, I mean, Solanke's got to be given a lot of credit. He's now tied with Mo Salah for the second top goal scorer in the league. Um, and and just, you know, he had a hat trick this week. Just seems to be getting better with each game. Really, really impressive, um, you know, recent form from him. Yeah, I think I think uh, my fantasy team is still shit, even with him, which I don't understand. I thought I was doing much better, but I'm not. But I will tell you a team that is doing much better, and that's Luton Town. It's very hard to not do much better when you were literally the worst team in the league for a while other than Sheffield United. But we saw it knocking and we saw it coming. And more specifically, you saw it coming to a top six team. So there's two big things that happened this weekend with Luton Town. 
Sean was right and I was right. So I think we just need to repeat that one more time. Sean was right and I was right. The first being Sean had a prediction earlier in the season that Luton Town or one of these bottom three teams at the time. Of I the said Luton. Cast, I said Luton. It was yeah. Luton because they looked like the best out of the three. And they still looked like the best out of the three recently promoted teams. That Luton Town was going to take points away from a top six or b- the big six contenders. And obviously, Newcastle has been in a bit of shambles lately, but they still have the ability to be part of that conversation. And Loontown beat them one nothing at home, which if you go back a couple more episodes when they lost to Manchester City in a thrilling game that they led one nothing and then lost 2-1 at the end of it, this came right after a last-minute defeat against Arsenal. So I called, put your house on Town's next home game because it is coming, and it came. So... Thank God we know kind of know what we're talking about a little bit there. So big up for Loon Town. I think you now have a little bit of a, an easier fixture list coming your way. So if you can keep that momentum rolling, I think it's a great opportunity. But on the other side of that coin, we have Newcastle, who, unlike Loon Town, is failing miserably. And unlike Bournemouth, they are pretty much the exact reverse of it. With their loss at Luton Town and at home to Nottingham Forest, um, at St. James's Park, where it used to be a, a, a fortress, were massive blows this week. And they have now lost six of their last seven games. And they're heading into a gauntlet of fire with Liverpool away at Anfield, then home to Manchester City and away against Aston Villa. This is three of the current top five teams. And, Man- and Newcastle, you need to tie down everything in sight because this could open up a, a massive floodgate for you sean take us take us through your thoughts and feelings with newcastle united right now yeah i think the the most alarming thing to me is the loss to, to nottingham forest at st james's park because we've talked about it numerous times this is a team that doesn't lose at home they only lost twice one to arsenal and one to liverpool last year they've only lost once previously this year at home which was to liverpool again we just seem to owing them a little bit there at St. James's, but it's still a very tough place to play. And you lose to a team that just sacked their manager. The new ba- new manager bounce is alive and well. Four points in the first two matches for Nuno. Um, <coughs> but, yeah, definitely alarming for, for Newcastle. They already have eight losses this year. They had five in all of last season. And yep. I think in all competitions, they had seven losses. So they've already lost more in all competition. They played probably around 45, 50 games because they went to the Carabao Cup final last year, the 38 Premier League games, so probably more like 45 games. They have already lost more games, and I think the the big guy, obviously injuries take a, a, a big part of it because we've talked about them not having their midfield totally fit, their back line. They are pretty much fit now, but a guy in their back line who's really struggled of late is Kieran Trippier. Uh, cost them in, in the Cup earlier in the week, or I guess last week now. Um, And then also has made a couple of mistakes. He got absolutely rinsed by Sun, which we mentioned a few different times um, a couple of weeks back as well well when they played Tottenham. And he's got the most errors leading to a goal of any outfield player in the Premier League this season, which, you know, just kind of tells you about the season that he's having. That's four, um, which doesn't seem that big in in the middle of it. But when you look at it, only Danny Fodderingham, who's the goalie at Sheffield, has more with five. And then there's nobody with more than two, nobody else with more than two. Um, so it really puts it in perspective how much he's struggled. Especially coming from such a quality player that we've always had nothing but 
great things to say that have been in the conversation. I know not to your liking with the ability of an outside fullback as Trent Alexander-Arnold. I still don't think that those two are on the same caliber. I agree with you that Trent Alexander-Arnold is there. I do think the defensive prowess for Trippier is a little better, but with this current form, probably not. You know, it's it's intense back there, and unfortunately, Newcastle's feeling a lot of pain, and mentally and physically, I think they're going through a lot because now the only cup that they're in is the FA Cup. They were completely tranced out of the the Champions League. No fault to their own. They were in the group of death, but, it, it, you know, it's a massive blow to them, especially getting such a great spot from last year's season ending the way it did. But maybe they can turn around, but again, they have a really, really hard stretch of games coming up. So we'll keep everyone posted, and I'm sure you'll see exactly what magpies want to hit some glass windows and just fall flat on the curb, man. It's going to be brutal for them. But... That was actually a perfect segue into what was the lock of the week for Kyle last week was the Newcastle game. It failed epically with Luton Town winning, but there's a couple games this week to look forward to. And then Sean, welcome back. You have the opportunity again to take the lead. Uh, everyone's record's currently two and three, except for Kyle, who's one and four. But we'll get to that after these next couple of games. So what are we yeah, looking the first, forward the first to game that I'm looking at is, is Brighton versus Tottenham, which is tomorrow. Um, two teams that are heavily affected by injury, but... Um, something that's consistent for both managers is that they're going to come with a you know a strong game plan, but they're also going to play with the same principles that they always bring forward, um, which is both you know high pressing, attacking, free flowing football. Um, both center backs gone for for uh, for Tottenham. Obviously, we mentioned Adingra. Uh, you did butcher his name, unfortunately, I and Matoma. Butcher that one. Bro. <laughs> um, both out with with four to six week injuries, which is really unfortunate. Um, but maybe it'll give us the opportunity to see the next. Uh, Brighton Wonderkid. It always seems like they just have another one that they just, you know, churn in off the mill. So I'm sure there's probably some Ecuadorian <laughs> that we've never heard of who's about to show out. Um, so that game's definitely interesting to me. And then the other one is is West Ham at Arsenal. Um, I just think that West Ham's a team that can cost you know the top six teams a problem. Last time these teams met up was a two-two draw. Um, West Ham's actually in pretty good form. They've won five of their last seven. They did get blown out, though, in those two matches, those two losses, 5 nothing to Fulham, and then the Carabao Cup loss that we highlighted earlier in the episode. Um, and you look at Arsenal, they're you know, looking to, to take the, the top spot back because um, Liverpool won yesterday. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I, 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 think, um, I think, obviously, Arsenal are favored, but you look at the attack that, that West Ham has with Kudus and Bowen, they can definitely cause problems to that back line. Yep. I'd be interested to see because it kind of went under the radar during the Liverpool game, but Havertz did pick up his fifth yellow card during that game and he mm. is out. So he'll be out of the starting lineup, which, you know, I, I know a lot of people are on, on the fence still about Havertz, but he's a he's a large body who does a really good job of holding up play and, and possessing the ball. He's actually one of the top ones in terms of possessive and forward movement. And it's going to be interesting. We'll probably throw Trissard in there and have Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka across the top. So we'll see how that fares. That's normally a little bit more of an aggressive attacking team. And I think Rice will probably have more of a role to play in between Saliba and Gabriel because of that. But I think it will be it will be challenging. So we'll see how, you know, like you said, the top three, Puketa, uh, Bone, and, and Kudus do against Arsenal. Will we see another kind of defeat um, at home for David Moyes, who I think has the most losses against Arsenal as as his coaching, um, you know, career at Arsenal's home team or field rather. But I'm excited to see this one play, play through West Ham, obviously. Uh, 
gave us a difficulty towards the end of the season last year, directly after the Liverpool game. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But then the last one to kind of look forward to is your lock of the week. So what, what do you have? Yeah, you know, I'm actually going to change my pick because the more I mull up and think about it, the Uh-oh. less confident I am in it. So initially my pick was Wolves over Everton. I'm actually going to flip that. I'm going to take Everton over Wolves. Ooh. No, I think I thought uh, you were going to switch up the game. I didn't no. know you were going to. You know, I'm, I'm going completely the other way, and I'll probably have to, you know, punch myself for for second guessing myself. You know, when Wolves pull it out, they did have a really impressive victory today away at Brentford. You know, mm-hmm. I think very highly of their defense. They're, uh, you know, one of the best in terms of conceding the, a low amount of XG on an average basis, and they're also quite good at the G Tech. But Wolves found a way to win. They're playing pretty well, but I just look at it. You know, Wolves is 13th in the home table. Everton's fifth in away table. They went toe-to-toe with Tottenham and, and could have taken points off them very easily. They had a goal ruled out. They hit the crossbar in that game. They gave City a bit of a scare today before um, a very suspect handball got, got them in. And beyond that, they won most of their recent games. I think uh, particularly since the 10-point deduction, it's almost lit a fire under them. And I think people are underrating them a little bit because you look at the Absolutely. table. And... <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you look at the table in there just outside the relegation zone, but you realize with the 10 point added on, they'd be in the top half of the table. They'd be ahead of Chelsea and one point back of Brighton in ninth place. Not not to possibly persuade you back to your initial feeling, but if you're going on current form, Wolves are sitting fifth place and Everton is sitting eighth right now in current form. Listen, man, I, I said what I said, especially <laughs> especially with Neto still, um, as yeah. far as I'm aware. Uh, I think, I think he's, he's coming back, right? He could be coming back, but I I haven't seen him. I don't think he played today, and I, I don't think they have the best in terms of um, Nick. I hopefully Nick doesn't listen to this episode because I'm definitely going to get some <laughs> abuse for saying this. Um, but if, if he did come back, maybe I'll switch again, but uh, I don't think that he did. Um, he probably could come off the bench and make an impact, but I just don't think Wolves have the depth to compete. Everton do. They also get um, a little bit more rest just on on the hours, I guess. Um, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Everton to win this one. I believe they're plus one ninety. Wolves are plus one sixty. In case anybody wants to fade us, which is totally understandable across the face <laughs> of this season, particularly Kyle. I'm I'm actually upset at myself for not betting the mortgage on Luton Town to beat. Newcastle yep. once that was Kyle. Me too. Block. We said it. Oh, we said it. I, I and when I was in Patty Power the next day. I listened to it on the flight over. We were in Patty Power, so my buddy could put a, a parlay that didn't hit against Man United. In I should have thro- thrown <coughs> thrown the whole plane ticket. Getting back, and like <laughs> whether or not it dictates whether or not I can come home. They're like, yeah, all yeah. that will <laughs> count because Kyle's one and four. You're two and three. I'm two and three. Looking to get to five hundred. I've picked against yeah. Everton already this year and lost. That's really most of the impetus, more than anything else. And I think every time I've picked against them too, they've won. So yeah, I'm just done with Everton, man. Sean, Sean Dice, baby, he's gonna. He, you know, they're gonna find a way to get a, a set piece goal and get a win. That's my prediction. So Blake, if you're listening, you're welcome. Don't disappoint me. Uh, absolutely let's go toffees i think that would be a fun one to watch and you know next weekend we don't really have too many interesting games so i think that one will probably be a good highlight but sean man glad to have you back happy to see that we're not at each other's throats with the result of the game because it was you know i think a win for both teams i think arsenal probably walk away a little bit happier but liverpool is is still showing you that they haven't hit that ceiling yet and that's going to be dangerous so without further ado 
Welcome back, my friend. And I know we're looking forward to this weekend and the next one. So until then, EPL State of Mind, signing off.